Well, this is a huge weekend in our nation and really throughout the world, isn't it? I want you to know that it is filled both with uh, sorrow and with joy. You may not be aware of the second part. This image of uh, 9-11 in New York, 9-11-01, a decade ago, is something that we will never forget. And the loss of life and the heroism in trying to rescue that life is something that we remember and we do what the Bible tells us to do, to mourn with those who mourn. But at the same time, I don't know if many of you know this, but some of you certainly do, for millions and millions of people around the world and even here in our own um, community and in our church family, tomorrow is 9 12 11. And it is the time when especially people of Asian heritage from China and Japan and Korea and Taiwan and Vietnam and many other places celebrate what some call the second biggest celebration of the entire year, the Mid-Autumn Festival. It's um, uh, the Mooncake Festival or the uh, Moon Festival. So we need to do the other side of what the Bible tells us to do. And we have a different image here of uh, rejoicing with those who rejoice. The hard part for us is putting those two images together. How do we mourn one day and then rejoice the next? Or especially, the Bible's call to us, how do we in the midst of causes of mourning have this inner hope that cannot be taken away? How can we even have a confident joy in the midst of the kind of evil and pain that we have in our world? And that's what we're going to think about today. And, and I'll just give you a, a little foreshadowing. It comes about because the Lord of this church is the one who one day was seen hanging on a cross, bearing the sins of the world, and then just a few days later that same Lord is seen bringing victory out of the defeat, resurrection out of death. And it's because of that and the certainty that this God is here and is in control that we have a hope even when we, we mourn. So I'm going to start with the mourning and at the end I'll come back to the joy. Uh, like Chris talked about and like so many of you who are here, I, I remember vividly where I was a decade ago when it happened. I just finished playing a tennis match at the College Park Racquet Club in Bannockburn, Illinois. And I was sitting there in the men's lounge when another man came walking in and he said, did you see what's happening on television? And the television was on. I hadn't really looked at it. I looked up and I saw there the North Tower of the World Trade Center with a plane in there and smoke going up. And he said, someone must have mistakenly flown his plane into the World Trade Center. Well, I continued to watch it, and then just a few seconds later, we saw the second plane came in. And then we knew, didn't we, that there was no mistakenly about it. Something was afoot, and whatever was afoot was something that was not good. And of course, what I saw via television that day, and that Chris experienced in a much more personal way, was one of a series of four coordinated suicide attempts led by 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists and you know that there ended up being a total of 2,996 deaths. It all uh, happened on a Tuesday morning, September 11, 2001. Uh, I was already scheduled to be a speaker. I was the president of a university. I was supposed to be the speaker at the chapel for the seminary that day at 11 o'clock. I remember running over to my office and then calling the provost and asking her to cancel 
classes for the undergraduate college and called a, an all-university convocation. And I remember turning almost by reflex to the text that has been dominating our morning service, Psalm 46, and then reading this yet again. God is our refuge and strength. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then repeated, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And I sat down with a sheet of paper and I remember scratching out some points I was going to make at the convocation. It wasn't a careful exposition of 46, Psalm 46. It was just my first thoughts that came. And those are going to be the, the points that I make today as well. And I pray that even though our understanding of what happened on 9-11 has developed in this decade, that we will also see this, that the God who makes a difference in times like this, a God who makes sense out of a situation, is still the same God who is here today. He is still a very present help in times of trouble. I don't know if you noticed, as Christiana and Andy read, but Psalm 46 really has the psalmist talking about the two things that the people in his world, millennia ago, uh, the two things that people in his world feared the most. What were they? Natural disasters, because the, in Israel the people had just ongoing earthquakes and still do. Mountains quaked. And uh, attacks from enemies, sometimes their own government, but often it was from the outside. When you think about that, you see how the world hasn't changed all that much, right? And he addresses that, and he talks about the difference that God makes. It's one of the things I love about the Bible, that even though it was written centuries ago, when we look at it and see what it's addressing, it, it feels as if it were written for today. And it's, it's because it, the Bible addresses the big human issues. Do you know what I mean by that? The things that all people at all times face. Times of trouble that make no sense to us. And it addresses us and tries to give us some help. And in this one, it's trying to help people to know that even though we may not see what is happening in the moment in that time of trouble, that God is still there and we should be able to have a peace and, and a hope even as we wait to see what he will eventually do. Um, as a pastor, you, you know, I, I've spent countless hours of my life, life uh, dealing with people who are going through uh, times of trouble, dealing with the biggest questions of life, especially those times where it feels like the tragedies and injustices are just unrelent <clears throat> are unrelenting. They, they come to us all. And I'll just tell you this. Every time I try to do it, I think I, together with any other counselor or parent, when your kids are going through tough times, I just feel so inadequate for the task. I try to find something profound to say. And at the end, I just feel like I didn't quite measure up. I remember I felt that way, that convocation, a decade ago. I'm sure I'm going to feel that way today. And still, when I think about it, we, we should not ignore these times. I think many people go to church. Because we know that there have to be bigger answers than just what we find in this world. Uh, we, we come to see if God really can make a difference. And I think if we gather here, we need to bring him back into the equation and to see what difference he makes. But I don't want you to expect pat or easy answers. But I'm going to show you the things that followers of Jesus have held on to now for centuries. And what makes us know that the God we believe in uh, is the one who can make a difference in such times. 
So that morning in the convocation, I made three points. I'll make them to you today, too. Number two, number one, I said, on a day like this, 9-11 just is a declaration to us that there is evil in this world, personal evil, and that that evil has an effect upon the world. It, It doesn't just happen in isolation. And that the impact of the personal evil that we engage in eventually comes to us all. No one is immune to the trouble that comes because of evil in this world. And that includes those who who don't follow Jesus and it includes those who do follow Jesus. Did you notice the way Psalm 46 puts it? In times of trouble. It, it, It makes it so that trouble is not just an exception that only a few people experience if they're in the wrong place or do dumb things. It's something that comes to all human beings. We should expect it. It shouldn't be viewed as something that is unusual. And it comes about, according to the Bible, because when we disobey God and engage in personal evil, living just for ourselves, that will not only have a devastating effect upon our lives, but it will affect everyone around us. Now, the whole world has always known this, but here in the Western world, and especially in the United States, we had a number of decades where a lot of people tried to deny personal evil and personal sin. We we just tried to say trouble comes because of some sort of outside things that affect us. You know it, that trying to make everyone, whenever things happen, that everyone becomes a victim of something else, Uh, a bad sociology, uh, bad politics, bad lighting or or whatever happens. So so we try to never say, well, a person engages in evil and somebody has done sin and you've got got to turn that over to find forgiveness. We didn't want to talk about that. But on 9-11, when almost 3,000 people of all ages and from all over the world were killed in the way that they were, without them provoking that and finding that those who did it were proud of what they were doing, we knew that personal evil was real. I'll tell you, I'll never forget it. Few people in this world were denying that in the weeks and months after 9-11. Do you remember that? Um, Of course, some tried to isolate personal sin and evil to just a few. You know, it's just the Bin Ladens of this world. It's just the terrorists of this world. Maybe to just one religion we'd even do that. Now, you're you're with me, right? Um, We dare not minimize or downplay the degree of the evil that was in the hearts of those who would plan and carry out the kind of act that we saw in New York. But at the same time, followers of Jesus have always humbly acknowledged that it isn't just others who have sinned. We have always done that. It's it's a part of being a follower of Jesus to give the same confession that the Apostle Paul did, the great Apostle, where he would say, I'm the chief of sinners. Uh, Christians, if, if we're going to be true followers of Jesus, we will never be those who just blame others. We'll, we'll never just say the others are those who have ga- engaged in the evil. It's, it's that humble and honest acknowledgement that the evil in this world, that we're a part of it and we have engaged in it, that has set Jesus' followers apart from others in this world. I love the way Miroslav Volf puts it. I put it here. You might want to write this down. He says, poison comes into my heart when I exclude my enemy from the community of being human 
and when I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Poison comes into my heart when I look at somebody else and think that person isn't fully human. And poison comes into my heart when I try to pretend that I haven't engaged in the kind of evil that others have done. So I'll tell you, when we see crises that come into this world because of real personal evil, bad decisions that are made, yes, we call it out for what it is, but we also don't look at it self-righteously. We know that, that we are a part of what has happened and that the effects of, of our disobeying God and doing things just for ourselves damage the entire world around us. And, and I think most of us know that the effects of evil come to us all. Don't you know that? We, we know that when nations rage and attacks come, all kinds of people will suffer. Now, when it happened, I was in an international community. It was Trinity International University. We had so many of our students who had come from all over the world. And I got together with a number of them, especially those who had come from the Middle East and certain countries in Africa. And they brought to me such a message. They said, President Waybright, what, what the U.S. has just experienced, we have lived with our whole lives. We live every day of our lives in, in our countries, just knowing that there may be attacks coming from the outside. So, uh, and we have found, they, they would kept saying to me, we have found that God is there and God is sufficient even in those times. Now, here in the United States, because I think we've had this blessing of geographical location where we have been immune from such outside attacks except perhaps uh, Pearl Harbor, we have always had a few people who naively have tried to say, well, maybe we can avoid uh, having to suffer in this world if we just live right. You know, we stay out of the wrong places, we, we don't live in the urban areas, we live in the suburban areas, then maybe I and my family won't have to experience the injustice and suffering that other people have to do. But, but that's foolhardy, that's foolishness. E even some so supposedly biblical worldviews have seemed to live with that in mind. If I keep my kids out of the bad schools, if I show up at the right church, I won't have any trouble. Then you come to Lake Avenue Church and the next week you have trouble and you say, I've got to find a different church. <laughs> if, I, if I just pray in the right way, if I, if I have enough faith, if I name it and claim it, I can have Genesis 2 paradise right here and right now. I can have my best life right now. How can anybody read the Bible and believe such a thing? I'll tell you the godliest and wisest people in all of history have felt the effects of living in this fallen world. Uh, just read Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and Daniel in the Old Testament. If you don't know the Bible, just read their stories. New Testament, the Apostle Paul and, and Peter dying at the end of their lives after being in a Roman prison. And Jesus. We see Him on the cross. The Bible tells us we shouldn't be surprised at this. See, we, it gives us a worldview that when the evil comes and when, when injustices come to us, we say, it tells us, here's how you look at that. It takes us all the way back to Genesis 1 through 3. It tells us that when, when, when God created us, he, he put us in a beautiful place, gave us relationships, but then uh, he gave us as human beings this incredible, beautiful gift, but a dangerous gift. And made in his image, you and I have this gift of being able to make moral choices. We are the only ones given, do not do this. 
And you know what happened? Almost immediately, that gift was used to disobey God. And it affected everything. It harmed the first people. It harmed their relationship with others. It harmed the entire world. So now here we live, millennia later, and, and you and I are a part of a world where generation after generation after generation of all people have disobeyed God and gone our own ways. And it has led to a world that is filled with evil and where everything is out of sync. So 9-11, to me, was just a confirmation of that biblical worldview, that personal evil is real, that evil does have consequences, it affects everyone around us, therefore times of trouble come to all of us in this world. That's the first point. But the issue is, how do we respond? And that brings us to the second point. I have found that the response to trouble, I'm going to look around and see if anybody nods with me, that response to times of trouble either makes it so that we turn to God and trust Him or we get mad and turn away from Him and say, I don't believe that there's a God or say, uh, if there is a God who lets this happen, I'm not going to believe in Him. Times of trouble either lead us to faith or to accusation, to peace in Christ or to anxiety. I remember at our convocation on 9-11-01, I told our students that I imagined that the enormity of these events would find a lot of people in our world becoming more religious than they had been before. Um, I said last night, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, and Lake Avenue Church is even a non-profit organization. <laughs> Bad joke, isn't it? So knowing that, I looked back to those times, I turned to them and I said, I, I think people are going to turn to being religious in unprecedented ways. But I imagined that what I call the rubber band effect would happen. The trouble would come, people would turn and say, there must be something more than this. There must be some, someone in control of this. And so the rubber band would be stretched so that people would become open. But the next moment we'd turn back into ourselves and it would snap back right to where we were. But I did think, and I think... Uh, evidence has shown that some would turn to God and find him and their lives would be transformed. And uh, I said, well, this is our opportunity. <clears throat> and, th- and I feel like today is an opportunity for that today as well. That in times of trouble, to ask the big questions. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we ignore the big questions until something like a death happens in our friends or, 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 or among our family members? Then it's at a funeral that we look at that casket and we ask the big question, is there more to life? And, and where is that person now, that one that I love? In other parts of our lives, we try to ignore those questions. They're back there. We're smart enough to know that they are there. It's in times of trouble that we ask the question. And so when it comes, some people turn to God and say, there has to be more than what I've experienced and find Him to be there. And other people just get angry with Him. Uh, let me tell you, though, trouble, the kind of evil that was experienced, 9-11-01, does bring up some tough questions, don't you think? This issue of the innocent suffering is, is trouble, and it's also trouble for us who follow Jesus because of the kind of God we believe in. Those of you who are newer in the faith, you come to the faith and you see what the Bible says about God, that He's all-powerful and that He's good, that He's involved in this world, and then stuff happens and it makes no sense to you whatsoever. And then you ask the question that's always been asked, how can a God like that let this happen? Sometimes our faith is shaken, don't you think? And that does lead to people say, well, I'm not going to believe in that kind of a God. 
But, but let me tell you this. It is really a mistake, though for me it's an understandable mistake, but it is a mistake to try to think that if I abandon any notion of God, then I'm not going to have any problem with suffering and evil. It's going to be resolved if I don't believe in God. Because if there is no God who is at work and can bring good out of evil, then, then violence is just something you should expect. And evil may prevail. It, it, the, the Bin Ladens may never be captured. Uh, might is right. In that kind of a world, why not? Just do whatever I can do and use whatever strength that I can have to try to advocate my position and get whatever I want. Maybe I'll get by with it. But, you know, when, when you hear that kind of thing, then even those who claim they don't believe in God say, well, that can't be right. There's something inside of us that rebels against that. Intuitively, we really believe that evil should be punished, that injustice is wrong. And so I keep hearing people, when I try to posit that, they say, well, that isn't the way things ought to be. That's an interesting question. There ought to. But I'll get back to that. Why not? That's, that's a question I'm gonna, I've addressed many times. But the only point I want to make is this, that when trouble comes, it is a problem for those who believe in God and who don't believe in God. The, re the real matter that we have to look at is, is there a worldview that helps us to be sustained and as I said earlier, even to have a joy, a confidence, and a hope that can carry us through that, is there a possibility that evil will ultimately be punished and goodness will prevail? And um, I suppose I won't surprise any of you when I tell you that I find that it's only the God of the Bible who provides us with the kind of resource and the kind of perspective on this world that can help us to make sense out of the kind of tragedy that we remember here today. So that was my third point. The God of the Bible is at work in this world, and repeatedly what we find him doing is turning the darkest moments in this world into the opportunities for his greatest light. Chris talked about this. He knew that. He, he's the one who turns apparent defeats into his greatest victory. That's what the psalmist is declaring. God is our refuge and strength. And he is a present help in times of trouble. We have seen him. He has broken the bows of enemies. We are still here in spite of all that we have experienced. And he is with us. Uh, my prayer is that when you come to Lake Avenue Church, you'll meet that God. And you'll find that kind of message not simply to be religious words. Or words that, that the preacher said today but something that is real in your life so that you need not fear no matter what happens in your life. Now, you know that every uh, religion, every philosophy, every therapy has to provide some answer or resource for suffering and trouble. You know that, don't you? I find that the, the Bible is the only adequate one. And what Psalm 46 does, and the Bible always does, and what I'm going to do in just the last few moments that I have, is that it directs us to God. And what the Bible always does is directs us to three things. It reminds us of who God is. It reminds us to look back and remember what He has done. And then it tells us to look into the future and remember what He has promised He will do. And then to live the present moment in the light of those things. Uh, who is God? 
Uh, Psalm 46 just lets us know this all-powerful one that is going to be exalted in the the nations and in the earth. Uh, The one through whom everything was made. But, But he's not just powerful, he is also good. And he's not just out there starting things. The Bible teaches us he is present in this world and working out a plan. And he cares about people. All people made in his image. I just love themes of the Old Testament. I found so many hundreds of them. If, if my sermons are too long, you wouldn't believe the great stuff I leave out of them. <laughs> and it's just all through the Old Testament. It tells us about God who personally is there and identifies with us when we suffer. It just says this, if, if you oppress the poor, you are oppressing me because I am with them. It, it says, God says, I, I will be a husband to the widow when you're hurting. I will be a father to the fatherless. They're just powerful statements about the care of our God. And the New Testament takes it to a whole new level. Remember uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Jesus, though he is in very nature God, entered into the suffering of this world. He became vulnerable He became involved in the suffering and death in this world. He was born in a manger. He lived the life of a servant. But I'll tell you, the glory of his care was seen on the cross when he was bearing our sins. It was amazing. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, put it far better than I ever could. So I'll just show you what he said. It's on the cross that we sufferers finally see to our shock that God now knows, too, what it is to lose a loved one in an unjust attack. Brothers and sisters, this is the God we believe in. Do do you know what this means? For me, it means that even though there are times that come that make no sense to me and I can't figure out the reasons why this suffering are are happening, I do know that the, the reason that it can't be I know one of the reasons that it simply cannot be. It cannot be because God doesn't love us. It it cannot be that He does not care about us. God so loves us and so hates suffering that He was willing to come down and get involved in it, saying that in doing so, He will transform that suffering into joy if we will trust Him and wait for Him. So the psalmist says, remember who He is. He is an ever-present help in your time of trouble. Then, we need to take time to look back and remember what he has done. The the Old Testament does this all the time. In the midst of the troubles that they would have, he would say, remember, this isn't the first time you've been in trouble. Have any of you ever experienced any trouble in your life? Have any of you ever had a time in your life when you you thought, we're not going to make it through this one? I'm looking. Oh, yeah. Can you believe it? Here we are. How did that happen? And usually when we look back, we remember that as we walked, like that poem, uh, uh, Footprints of God, that, that God was carrying us through those times. We, we didn't know it, but He was there. And the Bible constantly tells us to take a few moments and to look back and to remember that in our lives, God was faithful in times even when we were unfaithful. And here we are today, so when the, a new difficulty comes... We remember he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Which brings me to the third point about God that we have to remember. We must remember not only who he is, what he has done, 
but what he has promised he will do. Jesus followers, you and I have an empowering hope for our future. As bad as the present may seem to be, the future is something that will be built upon what is happening now, though we may not see quite how God will do it. In the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and especially, I mean, Old Testament, Isaiah especially, in the New Testament, especially the book of Revelation, God has said there will be resurrection. And uh, I will make all things new. It will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's so different from the way people sometimes envisioned it, even churchgoers. We often try to think about what this future is going to be like. It's going to be sort of this ethereal kind of spiritual world where we're up there floating on clouds. Dwayne, what do you think? Playing accordions or harps? or <laughs> That is not what the Bible says. It is a new heaven and a new earth. And we are going to have a new body like the one that Jesus had uh, that won't have pain. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. They, they, won't, they won't suffer in a world, a real world, a physical world, a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no tears and no sorrows and no injustice and no death. It's not just that somehow we'll still be alive at the end. He's, he's really saying, I'm going to give you back your lives. I'm going to give you back your relationships. The world that I made was good. I'm going to give you back a better world. All things new. And we hold on to that hope. And when we truly believe it and, and know that the God who promises it is one who will keep His word, we can gather soberly on 9-11-11, a decade after the tragedy, and mourn. And even as we mourn, Rejoice. We grieve. When pain happens, if you and I can't grieve, we will become hard and callous people. But the Bible constantly tells us our grief is filled with a hope. I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope, Paul said. Grieve. As Jesus did, he wept. If we can't weep with those who are weeping, we are not Christ-like. But it is always a grief that has this certain hope that God is there and sufficient for the task. We rejoice that he is our God. A close friend from China back in my college years talked to me about the Mid-Autumn Festival. All of you who come from Asian backgrounds, um, I know that many now, especially second and third generations, you just get together and eat mooncakes, right? Those really sweet things that, that are there. But he told me what this mid-autumn festival, the moon festival, had come to mean, mean, uh, mean to him. We went out at the one evening together, and he says, it's a moon festival. And we remember that the moon that is over us now is over those we care about, even though we're so far from them. We remember our whole hometown and our families. and We feel closer knit to them. And then all of us together look up at that moon and realize it's the same moon. And it makes it so that we feel closer to one another, though we're separated by so many miles. I, I find it a beautiful thing, don't you? And, and Christians, do you see that when we take that and put it in the light of a, of a Christ-centered worldview, how much bigger this is. 
that, that the one who is over us is the one who, who made the moon. And when we look up to him, we look up to him together, to the one who is the God and Father over all. And what that enables us to do is that we will then mourn with those who mourn. And perhaps they are mourning because they don't know that God still loves them and promises a better future. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we always pray. We always pray that those who mourn and those who rejoice will come to know the God who loves them as their refuge and their strength and their very present help in those times of trouble that come in this world and know that that is available to them through faith in the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to him. Amen.